Damon, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Ruth chapter 1. And if you're visiting with us, we are making our way through the book of Ruth. And um, we'll be finishing that up and, uh, by the end of, um, I guess, end of November. Ruth 1, when verses 19 through 22. So the two of them, being Ruth and Naomi, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Uh, Call me Mara, which means bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you for your word, and I thank you for your spirit who works in it and through it. Father, I thank you for the high calling of seeking to rightly divide the word. Father, I pray that you might find your servant faithful. Lord, I pray for our people, and I pray against the enemy. His desire is to sift. His desire is to accuse and distract and distort. And Father, I pray that you will, by your spirit and your angels and your archangels, do a mighty battle against him and his demons, that your people might sit in green pastures and be fed by their good shepherd. Would you do this, that your name would be praised. In Christ's name, amen. So uh, I want to deal with this theme of uh, returning to God after walking away from God. Uh, You could also call this repentance. Repentance is a big deal. When you think about the ministry of Jesus, the first words out of his mouth when he began his public ministry, it was repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. When you think about the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, that over 10 times this, this command to repent comes up. I mean, Jesus talks to the church. He talks to the church of Ephesus, repent, remember where you have fallen If not, I will come in war. He goes on to say, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. He goes on to later say, to those I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Later on, he says, the rest of mankind not killed by these plagues did not repent. In other words, when you read the book of Revelation and and, and the distinction is made between God's people and those not God's people, the watermark, the litmus test, is some refuse to repent, and they pay, and those who do repent, God receives, and he relents. Martin Luther, picking up on this theme, says our Lord Jesus Christ will that the entire life of believers be that of repentance. What role does repentance play in your own journey? 
How often do you think about it? How often do you do it? From the beginning of time until now, even though God's people are indwelled by God's Spirit, we are still mysteriously like our first father, Adam, in a way. That Adam turned his back on the Lord. He chose to believe the lies of the serpent opposed to the truth of God's word. And we're indwelled by the new Adam, the second Adam, the greater Adam. And yet we're not completely glorified. The residue of that remains. And therefore, this this call to repent, we're all called to do it. Some of us may turn our backs on God and walk farther away. Some of us may turn our backs on God and find our lives in a a mess, and others may not walk down that long path of disobedience. But make no mistake about it, that when we choose this world or the things of this world, when we desire the things of this world, when something else grabs our attention and affection in in an unholy way, that a metaphor is, is we're turning away from the Lord. And Scripture calls us, when this happens, to be people who repent. You don't just repent to come to Christ for salvation. That this becomes a posture. It becomes the way that we live our lives. It's through faith and repentance again and again. What does this have to do with the passage in front of us? Last week, I made the case to you that this word return uh, or go with me or go back that's used over and over and over again, uh, there's a, a, a spiritual truth to that word. You'll see it in our passage. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So this idea of arriving in Bethlehem, um, you see it in verse 22. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the country of Moab. Verse 21, the Lord has brought me back. These three words are all the same Hebrew word. And here is what one scholar says about that word, just that particular word study to return or to go back. Here's what he writes. Naomi's departure and return should be understood thematically in terms of her rebellion and then her repentance. She comes back from the far country of Moab and she returns into Bethlehem as the prodigal. The frequency of the usage of return, which we talked about last week, is far beyond the mere requirements of a simple physical journey. The Hebrew word for return in Ruth is the same word used by the prophets for repentance. Her return is a choice to identify with the community again. It is a return, not just to the physical city of Bethlehem, but to Yahweh. You get the image? As she makes it into Bethlehem, the message beneath the message is that she returned to God. That's what we're witnessing. We're witnessing repentance here. 
The one who walked away from God has returned to God. Therefore, Naomi has much to teach us about repentance. The first thing I want us to remember or to see in the text is that Naomi's return to Bethlehem is a picture of returning to God. Now, when the text says, and it says it twice, that they made it safely home to Bethlehem, I want to make a case to you that what's being said beneath that is that they made it safely back to God. Now, When I say that it's a picture, I want you to think about a portrait or think about a painting. I don't know about you, but I've been mesmerized by painting, a painting, right? So much so that I'll I'll actually go and try to buy paint and, and try to like recreate what the artist just did. And here's what you discover. And I I took art. I took art one, art two, art three. I mean, all through high school, I took it in college. And I'm, I'm still not good, but like trying to duplicate a real artist's work is hard. First of all, you think that when you see that blue or that orange or that green, you actually think that that came like in a tube. That didn't come in no tube, right? Somebody intricately mixed those paints to get that precise color. That when you start seeing the shadows in there, that's not just black. That's black mixed with gray, mixed with other colors to give it the shadowy look that perfectly blends with the other colors in the painting. And then there's extra media that an artist will put in the painting that you can feel the texture. It's certain brushes you use and certain types of paints that once you see a picture, you see that behind the picture that you adore, is a lot of complexity. And it's the same for repentance. It's easy for us to look and say, oh, okay, well, they made it back to Bethlehem. Okay, check, next thing. No, 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 it's hard. Like repentance is difficult. Now, it's difficult for three reasons. The first one is that returning to God, it demands that we turn from those things, that we turned away from God to go and pursue. Did you notice that there is no repentance as long as Naomi stays in Moab? You can't worship the gods of Moab and turn your back on the Lord and simultaneously think that that is anything that resembles repentance. That if if Moab is a picture of this idol, it's a picture of walking by sight and not by faith. It's a picture of when hard times come to Bethlehem on account of God's people, We can just skirt his displeasure and walk over here to Moab where they have food and they have grain. That's the image. If we're going to repent, we have to do so by turning our backs against the very thing we left God to go and pursue. It's so much so that, did you catch last week? Naomi was so set on returning back to Bethlehem that she told Orpah, you go back. 
Ruth, you go back. And if I, as an old widowed woman, needs to make this journey back to Bethlehem alone, I will do it. That's the weight of what's going on there. There is no repentance if she stays, and she will go even if no one else goes with her. That means that when we see idols in our hearts, that that we can't play with it or stroke it or toy around with it, that it has to be severed and cut off if it's going to be biblical repentance. And that's hard, which gives way to our second sub-point. It's hard to do that. You might remember what happened to Naomi when she was here. Her husband died. She didn't go back home when he died. She stayed there in Moab and grieved. A son died, and she still didn't go back to Bethlehem. And then another son died. And you would think, those of us looking at the story would think like, all right, baby girl, just wake up and go back home. And yet, she stays. It was supposed to be a sojourning, and it became semi-permanent. It was supposed to be temporary, and her sons got married, and they were going to stay. That's a picture of how hard it is to shake idolatry. That it's hard to give up those things. And so what God usually has to do is to introduce discipline into the life of the believer. And even after discipline, she still stayed. You see, I think the way discipline works, it's like a a boxer who gets, like, knocked out. And and in that moment, their brain has been short-circuited, and they are out cold, on the boxing floor. And their trainer will put ammonia, right? Ammonia carbonate is a, is a smelling salt or, or this solution that we've been using since the 17th century. And what the ammonia gases do is they go into the nasal passage and they go into the lungs and the lungs recognize that this is a foreign object and there's this gag reflex and all of a sudden the gagging is what re-triggers the brain. Hey, wake up. You aren't well. That God's discipline works like that. That when our idols run their course, that we're spiritually knocked out of it. And God will usually, in his goodness, bring about guilt and fear and paranoia and being found out and loss of joy. Like He will do all of these things, but he's doing it to awaken us from our stupor. And I think that's how we need to read Ruth. God is doing everything he can to awaken her from her idolatry. And yet, even after losing much, he still didn't come home on her own. 
Johan Hari has a TED Talk, and it's entitled, Everything You Thought You Knew About Addiction is Wrong. He says, many of us have been led to believe that heroin has addiction hooks in it, that once you take it one time, you will be an addict. But he debunks this by talking about the drugs that we take in the hospital. He says, when you go to a hospital, you're getting that pure, undiluted, undefiled, pure. And he says, why don't we see 80-year-old patients who go in for a hip replacement who have received the most potent forms of heroin? Why aren't we saying, hey, she's hooked on a wheelchair, right? He says, there has to be something more to addiction than just what we've been taught. And so he says, we've been given a half-truth. By one experiment done by one man where a rat was put in a cage and there are two solutions. One is water and one is a heroin-based solution. And the rat starts to take the heroin-based solution and the rat consumes the heroin-based solution until they die. And from that one experiment, from that one rat, from that one setup, we say, boom, heroin kills. And it does. So don't go do it, right? I'm not giving license here. I'm just saying we've been told a half-truth. He says, but, 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 but what we have not been told is that there are other experiments where if you put a rat in a cage with the same heroin solution and water and you introduce other rats and you introduce a rat playground, and you introduce all the things that rats need to thrive, guess what the rat did not OD on? The heroin solution. Why? Addiction isn't just about the feeling. He says the opposite to addiction is not sobriety as we think of it. The opposite to addiction is connection. If you put that same rat with those same choices inside of a different environment, the outcome changes. Now, why would I bring this up? Because it's tempting to think that discipline is what brings Naomi back to Bethlehem. It's not. It's reconnection. It's God getting in the suffering and the hardship with her. It's God being gracious and kind that that is what brings this woman home. Now, how can I prove that to you? Go look at Ruth 1 verse 6 and notice the order. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab because or for or on account of that she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and had given them food. Do you see the order? She only came back when she heard that the Lord had visited and that the Lord did not visit in judgment, but that he visited to bless them. That, and, and, 
In other words, the, the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament translated in the Greek, the word that they use for hesed in the book of Ruth, it's the same Greek word that's used in the New Testament that we use for mercy. Let that sink in. What brings this idolatrous woman home? It's not fear of wrath. It's the acknowledgement and the trust that God is in this with me. That he's coming back to treat Bethlehem in a way that it does not deserve. He should come in wrath and judgment, but he comes in mercy. This is why Paul says in Romans 2, chapter 4, listen to what Paul says. That God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. His kindness. His discipline may get your attention. But his kindness brings you home. That ought to be an amen right there, right? Not that you have to do it. I'm just telling you that that's true in the New Testament. It's true right here. His kindness. And so as we think about repentance, I want you to hear these three things. One, it does demand a cutting off and a turning from. You can't play with sin and still think you're on your way to repentance. Two, when we don't do that, God will use fatherly discipline to awaken us. And when we're awakened, when he gets our attention, it is his mercy that will bring you home. I think Naomi teaches us this. So don't despise discipline. William Cowper has a beautiful hymn. It says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides his smiling face. His mercy leads to repentance. The next thing I think we see in this passage is Naomi's arrival in Bethlehem. It portrays some challenges repenters may face. Now, I'm, I, I'm splitting hairs here. On the one hand, I'm saying when she makes it back to Bethlehem, she is in good graces with the Lord. But that does not mean she's scot-free. The challenges, even after we repent, when we have kind of done all of these things to hurt and harm people, we can be reconciled to God and be right with him. And yet, what about all this other stuff back here? So did you notice that when Naomi and Ruth came back, they actually had to face the city that they left. They had to go face the town that they left. They had to go re re 
face old friends that they left. What I would, would not pay to know what it feels like. When she makes this 100-mile journey after having been gone for 10 years, what's going through her mind? Will they accept me? Can you imagine the shame that's eating her alive? I don't know if you ever miss curfew. Uh, again, I'm not advocating for this, y'all. I promise I'm not, right? Kids, be on time, right? But it, I have, back, back, way back when. And I'm telling you, it's a fearful thing. You're like 20 minutes late, and you know that you were supposed to be home on time and you're not on time, and you know that when you walk in the house, mama and daddy, everybody up, like, yo, where you been? What happened? This is before we had cell phones. But you know that feeling, that drive home? I got to deal with them. I got to see them face to face. I have to give an account of where I've been. I'm going to be grounded. There are going to be consequences. You see, I think that's what's going on here, that she's been gone for a decade. And notice the crowd. Notice what it says. When they arrived, the whole town was stirred because of them. And so here's the thing. I, I want to put two things that makes repentance difficult. Once we've repentance, right? Once we've repented. One, there are going to be some challenges externally. And two, there are going to be some internally. Now, wh what's external here? I think it's the crowd. It says the whole town was stirred because of them. Now, that, that word stirred, you can underline it if you underline it in your Bible. But it, it's one of the words where the context has to help you understand what's happening. So is this a stirring of the town? It's like, oh, my God, there she is. Welcome back. We've missed you. We've been longing for you. Is it that kind of stirring or is it the kind of stirring of, man, look at her. What's she coming back now for? How dare she leave us? Like, which one is it? And so one Hebrew scholar says, you got to read the context. I want to make the case to you that it's this. I think they're actually being cynical. And I think they're being prideful. But I, want, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want to sort of look at the, look at the context to see if, 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 if we agree on this. Now, first, why am I saying that the actions of this town, it's actually a barrier to her repentance and not a bridge. And I'm saying that people, well-meaning, intending people, even the body of Christ, that if we're not careful, we can make it hard on the person whose life has been hell because of their own sin. Our posture towards them, we can either be a bridge to bring them in or we can be a barrier to give them more hoops to run through. Now, why do I think they're being a barrier? You'll notice in the next chapter when Ruth, who is the Moabite, daughter-in-law goes out to glean, she meets a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz says two things that I think are telling. First, she tells, Naomi, she tells uh, Ruth, do not glean in another field. Glean in mine. 
And then she tells Ruth, for I have charged my servants, my men, not to harm you. Later on, when Naomi goes back to when Ruth goes back to Naomi to report about how it was that day. Listen to what they say in Ruth 2.22. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Whoa. So what's going on in Bethlehem? They far away from God, even though they didn't leave. Boaz has to tell Ruth, look, I can't tell you what them other dudes going to do in other fields, but I can tell you in my field that I own and my servants, they're not going to lay a hand on you. Now, if you go out of my gaze, you all on you, baby. But if you stay where I have watched, you're going to be good. And then Naomi says the same thing. Yeah, you listen to him because you will get assaulted out there. It's rough in these streets. Now, why would it be rough? They're coming out of a famine. Scarcity. Y'all know what it's like on Black Friday? When Walmart has 100 TVs for $100, but a thousand of y'all show up to get the 100 TVs? You done seen the videos. Kids getting trampled on. Mom and dad's getting pushed down. Folks being rude. Why? Because scarcity brings out our depravity. Here's what I think you see going on in Bethlehem. They haven't had food. It's a dog-eat-dog world. In the period of the judges, people did what was right in their own eyes, and Ruth's book takes place in the presence of the judges in that time period. Second, we're going to meet Mr. No Name later, who has the opportunity to redeem Elimelech's field. And he chooses not to. He says, no, I'm good. You got this some Boaz. You know, here's what I think. I have a theory that everyone not named Ruth, Boaz, or Naomi in the book of Ruth, they're just as lost as Naomi was when she was away. And I think that makes repenting hard because she's walking into a city of people whose lives and values don't image the God they profess to serve. Furthermore, look look at what happened. The crowd was stirred, and I think it's negative, but then look at the women. The crowd was stirred. But the women said, is this Naomi? Now, I can't unsee this now. A a man by the name of Ian Duguid, who's an Old Testament professor at Westminster Seminary, he has a great commentary on Esther and Ruth. And here's what he writes. It is striking. Now, so track with me. Look at verse 19a. The two of them went until they, right? So two. Look at verse 19b. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. Look at verse 22a. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, was with her. Look at verse 22b. And they came to Bethlehem. In other words, what the narrator is saying is it's not one woman. It's two. They came. 
They came, they arrived, they arrived, they arrived. And it makes sense because last week, what did Ruth tell Naomi? Where you go, I go. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. Where you lodge, I will lodge. In other words, that is a covenant of companionship and friendship. Ruth is is saying we're going into Bethlehem as a package deal. We're one. Where you go, I'm going to go. Now, who do the women talk to? Do they address Ruth and Naomi? Because the narrator just told us that Ruth and Naomi were together. No, they only talk to Ruth. Listen to what this Old Testament professor says. It is striking that when the women of Bethlehem welcomed Naomi home, they didn't even deign to notice her companion. The narrator has neatly highlighted the fact that the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. The whole town was stirred because of the two of them. And yet the women said, is this Naomi? In other words, everyone in Bethlehem could see that there were two people. Yet the women neatly sidestepped the question of who her embarrassing appendage might be. Now, because of all of that, I don't think this stirring is with joy and grace. I think the town, the crowd, and all the other characters except Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi that you see playing a role in this book, it's in a negative light. This town lacks love for Naomi. She's a widow, and she's poor, and she's their own. And the first person in the book of Ruth who even speaks to, 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 to uh, Ruth, it's Boaz. In chapter 2, he's the first person to strike a conversation with her. She shows up and begs one of his servants to, to glean But it doesn't even say that the servant engaged with her. He gave her permission, the first person in the book of Ruth who actively moves towards the Moabite widow is Boaz. So not only do they lack love for Naomi, they lack compassion for Ruth. She's a Moabite. She's a widow, and she's poor. She meets all the boxes for the people that Israel are to show mercy and to show justice, and it's one person. I don't know about y'all, man, but I think that makes repentance hard because you can call it racism. Maybe they didn't want to speak to her because she was a Moabite. You can call it partiality. If you don't like using a word that's not in the Bible, partiality is in the Bible. Something is going on here with the way that they are treating this Moabite widow, and it's wrong. And in the context of the book, their own sin is a barrier to repentance. 
And so I want to put a few questions before us. What kind of church are we? Are we a church that will make a bridge for people who've been disciplined by the Lord, who are making their way back? Or are we a church that will put up barriers and close doors and exact more justice? Are we a church that when the other or the stranger or someone different from us, do we give off this aroma that God welcomes people on their way back to him? And let's take it a step deeper. Let's, a, a church is a function of the people in the church. And so what about you as an individual? Not your small group leader, not your friend, not your spouse, not your child. But do you as a believer who will give an account unto the Lord? Are you a bridge builder or a barrier maker? And maybe you're the person who's been straying in, in a way. I know, man, the church is imperfect. Please pick you up a bulletin. I got a quote in there that I thought was amazing. It says, choosing the way of Ruth not only means identifying with Israel's God, it means identifying with the stubborn, recalcitrant, and frequently offensive flock that he calls his own. Ruth found no warm welcome from the women of Bethlehem, yet she committed herself to Naomi and her kin. So too, we may find the Lord's people to be a disappointing bunch, exhibiting fewer of the fruits of the Spirit than we would like. The new Israel may have far too much in common with the old Israel for our take. Yet flawed as the people of God are, if the Lord be our God, then his people must be our people too. And maybe you're the person and you've been straying. Did you notice the internal challenges that, that, that Naomi is wrestling with? That notice what she says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Even though she says the Lord has brought her back in verse 21, he has been gracious to her that he has given her Ruth, who says, where you go, I go. Your people, my people, you die, I die. Her mind in this moment is still blinded to the goodness of God, even though it's a real reality. And so the challenges to repenting are not just external. It's in our own mind. That if you've walked away and you come back, your mind thinks about your failures. Your heart begins to wonder, does he truly take sinners back? And your sin, it plagues you and, and you wonder and you wrestle if the Lord will truly be good to me. And you're blinded by his goodness. 
If you've truly come back, you can tell Satan to kill that noise. You see, in 1 Corinthians, a man had his father's wife, and then in, and Paul told him to expel the immoral brother. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, bring him back, lest he be overcome with excessive sorrow. We are not unaware of Satan's schemes. In other words, Paul says, don't leave him out there alone to himself, because if you leave him alone to himself after being cast out of the body, Satan will do a number on him. The guilt, the shame, it will heap these coals upon himself. And Paul says, no, you go get him. You bring him back. That's what makes it hard, even when we come back, external factors and then our own selves. And here's the last question I want to put before you. Who gets the last word? Is it what you think? Is it what the church thinks? Or is it what God thinks? You see, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not acquitted because I am not unaware. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, you have to get to a place in your repentance where we don't fear men and we don't listen to self. We listen to God. And what does God say in this passage to affirm how he feels about sinners who return? Which is my last point. The providential timing of their return portrays God's posture towards all who return to him. Did y'all notice that last little verse? And it feels like a throwaway sentence. And they came to Bethlehem. At the beginning of the barley harvest, Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Naomi would have walked into Bethlehem not when it was a famine, but it probably looked a little like this. Why? Why is that important? Because at times, God speaks to us. In Theophanies, in the Old Testament, where he just shows up. Other times, God raises up prophets and, and, and his leaders. Other times, he gives us priests to mediate in between us. And then, in Ruth's gospel, God speaks to us through nature. They were rebellious. He withheld the rain. Their crops died. He was gracious and gave them crops again. Which signified what? I'm going to take that bitterness you feel, and I promise you, I'll make your life better here. Thank you, Greg. That bitterness that Naomi is talking about here, she walks into a, a town full of barley. It's as if God is saying, don't listen to your bitterness. This land is not barren. I am here, and I promise you, you will overflow with abundance here. I receive you, and you are back, and we are good. 
Now, for us, do we go and travel to Bethlehem and look at a field? Of course not. We go to a cross on Calvary where Jesus died. You see, when Jesus was dying in John's gospel, he said, I thirst. And in John's gospel, listen to what John writes. A jar full of sour wine was there. So they put the sponge of sour or bitter wine and hyssop on a branch, and they held it to Jesus' mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour or the bitter wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What is John doing? John is saying that Jesus drank the bitterness, the curse for us. That God might overflow with bounty and goodness to his people. What's also beautiful here is, do y'all know how the Moabites began? Lot had a horrific encounter with one of his daughters, with both of his daughters. And they named their son Moab, who Genesis says is the father of the Moabites. And so when we see Ruth, the Moabite, that long lost kind of tree that goes all the way back to Abraham and Lot, who has been dangerous to Israel, who has been jealous of Israel. All of a sudden, when Ruth returns with Naomi, you know what God is saying? There is room for all at the foot of the cross. Believe this this morning, Redeemer. God's posture towards those who repent is grace and welcome and enjoyment. He's pleased. This is ours because Jesus drank the bitterness. Make us better. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would write your word on the hearts of your people. Father, I pray for the culture and the shape of our church that we would continue to be a place where those who have walked away from you can find help in returning. Father, I pray for those of us who struggle with if we're truly forgiven. I pray that we would look at the cross of Christ and see the atoning sacrifice for our iniquity to see that you, your posture towards us is that of grace, is that of love, is that of acceptance. Thank you so much for the hope of the gospel. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.